We all have two lives. The second one starts when we realize we only have one. What a great quote by Tom Hiddleston. Welcome to Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. And here we are on our next episode of Heal. Today, Brittany is not with me again. I might fire her, but that's okay. She really doesn't get paid. (laughs) I guess I can't fire someone who doesn't get paid, right? And she doesn't really work for me. So anyways, (laughs) here we are in our next episode of Heal. I am so excited to learn and to meet our next, learn about and meet our next guest. Her name is Stacey Simpson. In a nutshell, here's one thing that I know about her. She is the founder and director of Gymagination, which provides gymnastics, ninja kids, and Zumbini programs for kids up to age 14. But I have a a stinking suspicion that we may or may not even talk about that. Welcome, Stacey. (laughs) Hello, I'm so excited uh, to be here and to just talk to you and get to know you better too. So oh, thanks for having cool. me on. I'm well, so thanks excited. for coming. I'm really excited. So my my podcast, for those who may or may not know, I'm still going to say it. The podcast is called Heal. And as you know, it's not because we're broken and we're trying to fix things. Um, it's because it uh, Heal actually stands for something. It's honoring your past, uh, growth and learning with humor, Um The E stands for education, energy, emotions, and the A is awareness, adaptation. Uh, Oh gosh, I could go on. I always come up with new words as I go through it, and I'm sure I'm missing other ones. And L is to live in the present, love, let go. Um, So HEAL actually stands for a whole bunch of different things, which opens up my podcast to be able to have a ton of different people on and learning about their past, because it really starts with our past. and honoring our past and talking about our past so we can help others to learn and grow. Really, that's what the podcast is all about. So that's why Stacy's on here. We're going to hear all about all about not only what she did with Gemagination, if she wants to talk about that. Um, I kind of want to learn more about the three-time cancer survivor. Three <laughs> times. Three um, times. Got hit three by time a truck. I'm going, yeah, and I'm going through cancer treatments right now, too. Oh, so. my gosh. You feeling okay? Oh, yeah. No, no, I'm good. I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Great- like, I mean, it, honestly, I'm here today. So yeah, right. that is a good day. I got up and we're good. <laughs> right. But not only that, but you also um, work. Tell me a little bit about your pageant work. You interview pageant contestants? Pageant title holders, yeah. I, I have been involved in pageantry since I was 16 that we can talk about that later. Yeah, don't tell um, me everything because we're going to go yeah. way back. We're going Yeah, way we're going way back. And, and there's uh, also information here about, um, <laughs> I mean, there's so much information about the, of course, it's, I told you it's cut off. <laughs> like, wait, I can't read this because I'm not going to read it right. Um, but you've survived cancer. You were hit by a truck uh, <laughs> and you're still here today. And I survived emotional, sexual, physical assault as a kid, and I am the reigning Ms. Achievement world. When I originally applied to, to try to be on the podcast, I was Ms. Achievement world, and so I won the international title in July. So, I wow. mean, because, you know, who would ever think that a girl would just be like, yeah, sure, let's call do that and all this other stuff too. <laughs> so can we start at the beginning if wherever that might be? Like what, how far sure. back do we go and where did you grow up and what was your life like? And then what happened? Yeah, no, I, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. I actually grew up just outside of Detroit in a really nice suburb and a fairly upper middle-class neighborhood, well-off parents. Uh, my mom had multiple personality issues um, that really, really went undiagnosed until her death a year ago, but it was very obvious that there was dilute. I mean, I, I now, I'm now um, a therapist, so that's another thing that I, I don't even put on the bio, but um, yeah. It, it, but you it almost was, have to become one so you can understand what the heck just yeah. happened. 
You know what yep. I, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What was, well, and, what and was that? I, yeah. I, I have, I, I, I didn't know it when I was little, but I had Asperger's. So, um, my mom had delusional issues and she had OCD and, um, she had a variety of other, probably bipolar, but again, that was never diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my mom didn't let me in the house. Like I was only allowed in the house at night. Like we, I get up in the morning, she kicked me out in the backyard and, I stayed outside all the time. And so um, at the age of five, I was sexually assaulted by a neighbor. And um, and it kind of like went from there. I mean, I, I, I didn't remember a lot of that till I was much later in life. But um, yeah, it was kind of strange. Like my mom really didn't, d- I, it, there was this always this thing where she, I think she was trying to make me this perfect little girl. And I, I wanted to climb trees and, and climb yeah. and hang and be really physical in my, and, and I was also very intellectually stimulated because of the autism. So like, I really was, you know, very book smart and, and my mom hated it because my mom was not really educated. And that's interesting. Um, yeah. So she would keep you away from that in a way, not yeah. encourage yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, I think about that a lot because it reminds me of something, but, um, I wonder, is she, was she feeling insecure herself and didn't want you to? Absolutely. She did. And she voiced that to me much later in life that she was like, she's like, I don't care how smart you are. I'm way smarter than you are. I'm right. street smart. And that's worth so much more. Right. And, you know, At what point did you end up leaving home? Did you leave earlier than traditionally or what, what happened when you um, growing I tried up? to. So like, if we fast forward a little bit, like I was a physically like abused by my dad because my mom would never actually physically abuse me she would always go wait till your father got home so every time there's a punishment my dad always did it um and so at 16 she and I had a really bad a bad situation where um (laughs) that's pretty dark too we can go into that but it's a bad situation where I was caught skipping um from school and um she was called and, and the school got involved and my mom said, well, you know, when your dad gets home, he's going to punish you. And I was like, no, I'm tired of this. I'm 16 and you can't keep doing this to me. And so she called my dad and told my dad, I was trying to kill her. And oh, um, Jesus. he came home and beat me to the point where I had to have reconstructive surgery, put my face back together. Oh my God. Um, and you were and- 16. I was 16. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the, in the, the hospital, the, the social, social services got involved, of course. And they told me, well, you can go home with your parents or we're going to have to put you in an institution because you're a teenager. There really isn't any other place to put you. Um, cause that was in the eighties and there really wasn't really good protective services. Uh, so I went back home, uh, and then we went into court mandated therapy Uh, and I started immediately trying to become emancipated and that just made things worse. So I, I, I I babysat for a bunch of attorneys, actually a judge took me to the hospital because we had a judge that lived across the street from us and, you know, he, he, their family were the ones that took me to the hospital and, um, yeah, I stayed until my 18th birthday and then moved out on my 18th birthday and, um, you know, it's funny because my mom passed away a year ago, but I, in fact, my husband, I, I had heart surgery 10 years ago. And while I was under, my husband changed the phone ringers in my phone to, it's your dad. Why do you answer the phone? It's your mom. Why do you answer the phone? And then for my brother, it was not your circus, not your monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Just very strategic. (laughs) It's like, I'm not answering. Are you trying to tell me something, babe? I, so, um, because I, I continue to have a relationship with them probably, I I don't even know, like, I guess, because just because they're family and you still, I know, but, but it, but just because you're blood related to them and they, and you know, they treated you that way does not mean you have to. So you felt obligated to stay connected. Yeah, I did. I, I mean, I did go about five years without speaking to my dad. Um, I did go about five years without speaking to my mom. Um, and my brother's six years younger than I was. So or he's still a six years younger than I am. So <laughs> sorry, I was. 
and he still he still survives my my dad is still around my mom is not but um I, I got to a point where like now my brother and I are not speaking so yeah um, you know I kind of it's survivalist I, I I think that you know I love them because they're my family but I don't like them very much yeah I think this is an interesting concept um because I think we all have, you know, we can all say, we, I, I think a lot of people can say, you know, growing up wasn't easy. Yeah. Um, and we love our families, you know, because they're my family. But why do we have to say that? I mean, that, why do we have to say that? I mean, that's an obligation. That's not love. If it was pure love, it wouldn't be an obligation. Yeah, it wouldn't I feel think. like that, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, and that's really like, I, I always say I have a best friend that I call my brother and so people get really confused because he's, they're like, well, is he your brother? And I'm like, no, I adopted him along the well, way. Well, yeah. And the he's thing is, you don't have family. to explain that stuff. Just yeah. like, it's my yeah. brother. He's, yeah. He's my family. And then, and even his, his husband didn't even like, like his husband, they started dating and he really thought we were blood related. And he's like, wait, you guys are not biologically brother and sister. And I'm like, no, but like, I chose him. Like he's yeah. way better than, yeah. than the people that are supposed to love me. Like when I was diagnosed with my cancer, um my my best friend that I call my brother like you know he was the person I called and then he right. called my mom and told my mom and you know he was the person that was carrying the barf bucket around he was the person that helped me cut off my hair he was the person that you know was there doing everything for me so right like, right they weren't so um and honestly I can, like, yeah go ahead yeah, okay yeah honestly he you know at the end of the day that that's who my family is that's not that's, that's it and 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 that feeling of that obligation towards others is truly just that it's not I don't know I'm not I don't want to talk you out of loving your no, family it's, I mean it's okay <laughs> but I it's mean, just I, a, it's a thought it's like if, why that's almost felt like it feels like a burden like I'm holding yeah. on to this obligation because it's my family I have to well and when my mom passed away is when I stopped like feeling the burden of taking care of my brother like, my mom always was like you've got to take care of him he's your responsibility and and growing up that was really you know when they I, I remember I was five and I said can I have an encyclopedia and I got a brother and I was like no this is not what I wanted please take it back like this is not what I wanted <laughs> That's so funny. I'm, I'm curious to learn more about your autism diagnosis um, because sure. you mentioned you were diagnosed at 45. Um, yes. And I'm wondering why, why at that age, what, what was happening? I'm sorry, this boys and girls, I'm a kindergarten teacher. You're going to hear me probably jump around a little bit. So just follow along with me. Um, <laughs> I'm curious Luckily, because I'm non-linear, so we're good. We can everything go anywhere is non-linear. So <laughs> I'm just dying to learn about that, um, especially working with a lot of um, students on the spectrum. And you know, I do know the statistic. Well, I don't know the exact statistic, but I do know statistically that women or girls are diagnosed a lot later than boys or men. Um, <clears throat> but I'm dying to know uh, your uh, history with that. What 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 caused you to be to get tested I guess well I was I, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder um in 2003 so I was I don't know I can't do the math that's almost, okay <laughs> it was I don't know it was all don't ask me 40, to <laughs> something like that I'm 55 now so whatever I was I okay was like gotcha whatever yeah um at 37 I was 37 okay yeah she did it <laughs> Big Mac and, and put on medication. And I, I kept saying like, this doesn't feel right. Like I, I had already um, had my degree was in education and development, but I had done an understudy in psychology. So um, in my minor, so I, I, I didn't feel right. It didn't feel like what my, my mom was. It didn't feel like what my brother was. So I was like, I don't think this is correct. Um, and so I ended up going back to, to school um, at 45 to get my certificate to become an ABA therapist. Oh, nice. And while I was in, um, in doing my, my, my clinical work, the doctor that oversaw me said, she's like, she's like, I really think we need to check you. And I was like, check me for what, fleas? Like what? <laughs> 
what? That's funny. <laughs> and I mean, and I, I had already worked as, as an implementer for a, a child with autism. And I'd already worked with a lot of people that had autism with my gymnastics company. Um, I was very open to kids that were on the spectrum because I, I, I felt like we bonded really well. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, so this was kind of like that next place for me to go where I felt like I was really going to be able to make a bigger, how a bigger impact. And uh, so I tested and I tested really strongly in the middle of Asperger's and I went now, now it makes sense. Okay. Because I was, I, I, you know, at 16, when everything was happening with my mom, my school obviously got involved with what was happening with, with, you know, the physical assault. And at that point, someone said, Hey, has anybody tested her IQ? And I was like, no, I've always been the, my brother was tested very, very young and he was brilliant. His IQ is like 150. And so my mom just totally like landed on giving that, all of that attention to him. Right. I think it's that, that mom son development kind of thing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> And it was all, and I I think their generation too is all about building up the men. So, um, and so they tested me and my IQ was 168. And I was like, okay, well, that explains a lot of things. Cause I, I, can you rub some of that off on me, please? (laughs) No, I can't because clearly I can't get through a, a really sound conversational bite where I'm actually explaining things. So <laughs> it's so funny, but, but yeah, so at 45, they said, you know, you're on the spectrum and I went, okay, well, that just means that I get along better with the people that I work with, you know, that right. I work with. Yeah. I have this conversation a lot with, well, I used to, um, I'm actually, I said, I was a teacher. I was a special ed teacher as well, um, but I'm taking the school year off. So this year, I can't really say I'm a teacher, even though I do teach. You're always other. a teacher. I, I oh. am. I am. I do teach in my other business, my, my, my business business. And um, I always say I'm just teaching, but in a different way, not five-year-olds. But anyways, um, conversations about diagnoses and, and saying it doesn't matter. It's good. It's very important to have that diagnosis, you know, to understand how this child learns, but we're still going to teach the, the child how they learn as long as we can figure that out. Um, so the diagnosis is important, but it's, it's not important when it comes to relating to them and understanding them and teaching them. Um, so yeah. interesting. Yeah. I mean, you got through your whole life, uh, yeah, and but, you know, I mean, and it was really, it was really interesting too, because I, I had been dating a guy that was on the spectrum and he and I both kind of got to a place where it was like, oh, our two worlds are not, we didn't know that. I mean, that we, I didn't know even that, that I was at that point. And then when I found out, I was like, oh, that's why you want to watch Jeopardy every night. And I'm like, no, let's watch this, that it was not working. <laughs> But because also to the dynamic with autism with males and females is very different. Right. So, and, but it is very individualized with every person. That's right. Diagnosis is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was. I don't know what you mean by. Okay, sorry. <laughs> my watch does that to me all the time. I'm not talking to you. That's what I say to my watch. I'm not talking to you right now. But, you know, he, he and that was the thing is like, it, it it's very different dynamic, you know, so. Um, I, I, I think it's really cool, but I think that, that one of the things that's been the, the hardest part of all, I, well, I now say that autism is my, my superpower because it really enables me to see things in a very different way. So I, I learned to adapt my behavior to watching really imperceptible pieces of body language. So that has really enabled me later on to be able to adapt. Uh, ironically, you know, at 16 after this incident where I had this horrible, horrific incident happen to me with my mom put me in a pageant to raise my self-esteem. And I was, I was so introverted. I mean, even though I spoke to everybody cause I was very verbose, but I just couldn't make eye contact. I couldn't have a, a discussion with people my own age. Like I always talked to adults because I couldn't relate to anybody that was my mm-hmm. age. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so my mom was like, no, you're going to do this pageant thing. And I went, uh, okay (laughs) so is that where the pageant um interest and wow so all the way back to when you were 16 16 16 and I I was three months post-surgery and 
probably not the best thing to raise my self-esteem at that point, but it, and it really was kind of amazing that it really, it gave me something to focus on. It enabled me to learn social skills that I would never have really figured out probably in any other format. It enabled me to learn how to make eye contact. It enabled me to feel comfortable on stage. Inevitably, that is what led me to teaching was because I stopped being in this space of myself and started being able to project what what my love was of teaching and being around kids and really being an educator outward. And uh-huh. when and pageantry enabled that. And I just, I, so many people always downplay pageantry. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's very sexist and you're, you know, you're not being a feminist and, and it's all about the beauty. And I was like, no, actually it hasn't been about that for me. It's been about the journey. Okay, so I'm going to compare it to something that I also did. Okay. So growing up, uh, I don't know how I got into cheerleading, but when I did, I was young and I ended up becoming a coach. But the reason why I was there was because of the competition. I didn't care for football or football players or basketball or like I wasn't there for any of that. I was like the three hour practices every night, keeping me off the street and um, the comp the competitions we competed and we were really good and truly it saved me from myself and I liked the competition and it kept me in shape whereas I probably wouldn't have desired to do any of that any other way I was forced to um people make you know maybe not these days but back then cheerleaders were cheerleaders and it's like yeah it's I'm not here for the skirt you know (laughs) like I'm not Um, I just got so much out of it. And if I didn't do that and I didn't have that structure and that routine and that uh, common goal within the team, then I wouldn't have learned half of the life skills that I have now. I I think it's super important to have that because it also, I'm a gymnast as well. I mean, I was a gymnast, but that was another thing that I chose. My mom wanted me to be a tennis player. And I'm like, mom, I can't hit something like I I have no eye-hand coordination like so it was bowling tennis and softball and I was like mom I want to play the piano and I want to dance and I want to do gymnastics so when I got into junior high school I I did do cheerleading and then got into gymnastics and was on the gymnastics team in, in high school and that was really you know, I, I'm part of that era of watching Olga Corbett and Nadia Comaneci and saying, oh my gosh, like, this is, this is so cool. This is what I want to do. Uh-huh. I never thought that inevitably that's what I would be doing for the rest of my life. But, you know, it, 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 I love it. Like, I love, I love shaping lives and it's not the gymnastics part of it is, I mean, yes, that's an important part of it. It's, it's healthy. It's physical. Yeah. You're um, teaching kids how to I think one of the biggest things is, um, uh, what's the word discipline. And I don't mean like tough discipline. I just no, mean discipline. Cool if you want to get better, you have to practice, yeah. Yeah. you know, if you yeah. want to get better, you have to change how you do. I don't know, eat, drink, not that we're crazy about the, like, you know, just that you have to take care of yourself in order to get better. You have to practice in order to get better. You have to, you know, you have this focus. If you have a goal, you have, you're teaching kids how to work towards a goal, even if it's just a forward role, you know, like you're teaching them how to get there. Um, And that, I mean, that's like the whole thing with Gemagination was like, I, because I I bought another business in 96, I bought into a business that I was working for. And uh, six months later, I was diagnosed with my cancer. Um, But you know, when I bought into it, I was the preschool director. I was in charge of the preschool program. We had this huge dynamic, you know, 30,000 or 20,000 square foot gym. And, you know, I was just the preschool teacher because that was my knack. That's what I did. Like I related to the kids under six and that, I mean, as a, a kindergarten teacher, you, you get it. There are certain personalities that do well with the littles and certain personalities that go, Oh, Oh no. You're out yeah. Once they hit seven or eight, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Me too. I'm the exact same way. And it, I mean, now we have kids that have been with us you know, uh, for almost all of their lives. So we have some, some kids that have been with us, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, and those ones I still hang out with because they right. were my baby. Same, same. So, I mean, I don't want to teach them once they're seven or eight, but I can hang out with them. <laughs> I go, I go, I, well, I go 
to the gym and you know we we hey. talked and then and then my <laughs> other teachers go can you please shut up for a minute sorry that's not a nice word but anyway, they just kind of give me that look like miss stacy we're working here i'm like okay <laughs> i think i get that look a lot too <laughs> oh well i can't help it if they like me <laughs> well i one of the one of the teachers is my husband so my husband is always like oh gosh stay please stop <laughs> Let's go. I want to go back a little bit. Okay, everyone, get ready. It's ping pong time. I want to go back to when you were 16 and you did your first pageant, or at least was introduced to pageantry, because I know that's I know that you work a lot in it with pageant pageants now. So I want to know how that um, morphed from that age. What happened? Um, and did you take a break from it? How did you get back to it? Like I want to know that. And, you can be as abridged as you want. As a matter of fact, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, then you'll be able to talk about uh, that. Dun, that dun, sound dun, like a sound I know, right? Such a cliffhanger. <laughs> Hold on, everyone. We'll be right back. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And we're back with Stacey Simpson. So excited because I'm, I want to hear about her pageant journey. As we learned in the first segment, she was put into a pageant. Um, her, your mom pushed you into the pageant at 16. Yeah. yeah. 16. And, and, you, um, and you still to this day work in pageantry. So I, I am still a title holder now. I mean, I, yes. So tell us crazy. everything. Sure. So, so I'm just going to pour myself a drink. It's water. Okay, good. Enjoy. <laughs> so my, my first pageant experience, um, I had no experience. I wore a pink dress with blue eyeshadow. I mean, it was mm -hmm. horrible. horrific. It was, horrible. it was the 80s. You had to wear it that. Was. So I had big, horrible hair, which I couldn't actually No, do. it was the 80s. That's what we did. <laughs> big, horrible hair. It well, was trendy. I well, and, and my, we had done my hair in the morning and my hair fell by the time we oh, got. See, that's so terrible. I had to pull it back into this crazy side bun thing. It was awful. Like I could look back at the pictures. I'm like, oh, but I won first runner up. And I thought, hey, what are the chances of that? Like the, this is the first time I've done this. I, I of course had watched Miss America and Miss USA and Miss Universe. And, and I thought, oh, these women are amazing. And I think that they're, they're graceful and articulate. And I, I am so none of those things. I am so Miss Congeniality, like, you know, from the movie, I, I snort when I laugh hard, I fall over my feet. I am not graceful. I, I sometimes I'm articulate, but not always. Um, so it really was that thing that I wanted to do. And, and that pageant was just a little local pageant. And the next thing I knew, I was competing for Miss Florida Teen USA. So <laughs> Here I am. Pressure, I went, no pressure. Yeah. yeah, no pressure. I mean, I and there were 150 girls competing at Florida Teen USA, and I made it into the top 15, which to me was a huge yay. I was like, okay. Um, and that was also the year that Vanessa Williams won as the first Black Miss America. And then shortly thereafter, um, after this, after being in USA, um, they took Vanessa's title away. And uh -huh. I swore that I would never do a Miss America pageant because I thought that really they had done her wrong. That, uh -huh. that, that even at that point in 1984 and 85, they, that to some degree, you know, journalism really took a really bad, bad opportunity to a woman that really deserved a title. That's right. So, um, I mean, and then trying to get out of my household with my parents, uh, I ended up getting married at 19 so that I really was out of the house in a way. And so I didn't go into miss to miss competitions. I did one or two and then immediately got married and started doing business pageants. And I, I was, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't want to say I was, I was unsuccessful. I just kept getting these runner-ups and I didn't actually win a title except for local stuff. And 
Um, I walked away from it at like 25. Uh Okay, you know, I I did my thing. It was fine. And then um, at 30, I was diagnosed with my lymphoma. I was given eight weeks to live when I was diagnosed. And it was on September 11th, 1996 that I was diagnosed. And on my five-year anniversary, which was the day that changed the United States and probably the world forever was my five-year moment. And I realized that I'd been given a gift and, and I really wanted to change my life. I mean, I, I had had this really amazing business that I had bought, like I said, six months before I was diagnosed. Um, We were a multi-million dollar business by 2001. So in five years, we had six locations and I just went, nope. I need to do something more with my life. This is That's not- so interesting. That's, I love that. I love it when people do that. Yeah. yeah. This, this, that way, I, I don't want to call it, it was my I come into Jesus moment, my old crap moment, my, my minute where I went, nope. And I sold my business for $10 on a laptop. And I moved to Texas to go work with the Olympic team, which I thought was a great idea at the time. <laughs> to do what? Gymnastics. Really? Really. I worked to teach. I worked with Kim Zamaskal and Bella Caroli. What was that like? Oh my God. That was a whole nother show. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Booking uh, booking about seven months. Go ahead. That's not on your bio. (laughs) No, it's not. I don't talk about it. It was, it was only two years. I, I did that. But I mean, Imagination actually grew out of that. My gymnastics program actually is a direct result of that experience because I decided so I there did. you go so that's why you were there at the time yep and, and it also at that time I came across a brochure for for team and training which is a fundraising program for the leukemia lymphoma society and I was like I'm gonna ride a hundred mile bike ride and my doctor was like no you're not and I became a spokesperson for our our chapter for for leukemia lymphoma society and that telling strangers because I had never told anybody I was terminal I didn't tell my business partner I didn't tell anybody in my family I didn't tell my best friend I didn't tell him I was terminal so um I told a bunch of strangers that I was terminal and seeing the looks on their faces was so impactful and I said this is what I'm supposed to do and I literally within like a week I had a dream that I won a pageant And I went, I woke up from the dream and I went, oh my gosh, that is it. I am going to compete in a pageant and share my story because wearing a crown enables me to have Have a a voice, have a microphone, have a voice to be able to share it. And, and then I started winning. So I won my first state competition in Texas. I won my first national competition in Texas. I won my first international competition in Texas. Uh, where I said as a girl growing up, I will never compete in Texas because all of the beauty queens come from there and I am not that person. And the next thing I knew, I was that person. And I, 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 I'm a size 14, 16. I'm not the typical pageant looking girl. I'm five foot four. Uh-huh. I have red hair. I'm like, I'm so, I'm not what you consider, most people consider a beauty queen. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the story is really what drove those opportunities and learning to interview, learning to be impactful, learning to do community service. Uh, And that's really where pageantry now, which is my other gig that I I do interviews with pageant title holders. Uh Um, So five years, six years ago, almost seven years ago, um, I had a great opportunity to be at Miss Universe. at the oops miss universe where steve kind of crowned the wrong person i remember that so i haven't watched a patch i used to watch all of the all of them not because i had this huge interest it was just you know something to watch and it was interesting and you always wanted to see who won you know um i've never been involved in pageants before um but i did like watching them and i and i vaguely remember that someone was yeah he said the wrong name or something or yeah he did. And, and the thing that was really strange was I, I was there um, because I was invited to a pre-party the day before, and I really wasn't supposed to be on the red carpet, but the people in charge of Miss Universe um, 
I walked into the interview room. I said, listen, I just would like to interview Seal. He, he, I listened to his music when I was going through chemo. I mean, this is kind of like my, my make a wish kind of thing. I'm like, can I please just thank him for the opportunity because his music really motivated me when I was really, really sick. And, and the next thing I knew I was on the red carpet and interviewing, you know, everybody. I, 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 Emmett Smith, who had just won Dance with the Stars. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's a cowboy. I lived in Dallas. Like, I'm like, oh my God. And I just very casually went, hi, we're here with world famous Emmett Smith, number 22 of the Dallas Cowboys, winner of Dance with the Stars. And he kind of looks at me, he goes, wow, you actually know who I am. I'm like, I do. <laughs> and I wrap my arm around him. Like I had known him my whole life. And, and when I walk away from it now and I go, how... How did I develop those kind of interpersonal skills to be able to do that? Uh And I was actually the last person that interviewed Steve Harvey before he went out on the stage and made a mistake. Because I said to him, (laughs) I said, Steve, you're a comedian. How are you going to make this pageant memorable? He's like, oh, you did it. It's all your fault. Oh, Oh, my fault. (laughs) Oh, He's like, do you think you did that on purpose? <laughs> no, you know, and there were people that said that too, that it, it's, and I, and that was the thing that was what, where pageantrino came from it. Like here I am, I'm this, this girl from nowhere. I, I, they were doing a, a, a live cause they, uh, there was a, there still is, but there was a format out there called you now, which is live streaming where you could be somewhere. And, and now I'd be, so you can do it on Facebook, but Facebook Live didn't exist then. Right. And so the guy that was the host pulled me out onto the red carpet and started interviewing me with Perez Hilton. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I'm nobody. What are you doing? <laughs> like, okay, sure. And that moment was where my podcast came from was, you know, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually tell the stories of these incredible women that do all of these amazing communities. Right, go a little deeper than what you see. Deeper than just, oh, you've been crowned. You wore a swimsuit. Great with your onstage question or, oh, that was horrible. You fell on stage, whatever it was. So that, you know, there's, I always say now there's 364 days that happen after that moment that these women blood sweat tears that they're giving of themselves and nobody sees it so that's kind of where the idea came from I love it that's fabulous you're giving them a voice a bigger voice a better voice yeah a true authentic voice of who they are is giving me so much you know I've I I've won the president's call to service award for over I, I you you can be honored at 5,000 hours of community service I've done over 15,000 hours of community service wow I I really feel that pageantry gave me this hardest service and and you know obviously my my cancer diagnosis did as well but yeah but that doesn't necessarily happen with everybody when they're diagnosed with terminal cancer you know like and then then survive it they don't always turn their life around and give back so kudos to you for doing that yeah I I mean I think it's important to I, I think my story for whatever reason I'm here to keep telling it and you know I keep getting these horrific things that happen to me and I keep going nah we're cool and I'm in therapy. Obviously, I've been in therapy for years. Uh, my therapist now is like, he's just, you're so extraordinary. That's so nice. Have you written, uh, written a book yet? No, we started, I started to write the book um, in 2010, right after my third cancer diagnosis and right after I'd been diagnosed with heart failure um, and actually had a publisher that was wanting it. And then I got hit by the truck. Oh, the truck. <laughs> And I went, okay, clearly it's not ready yet. We just need to bake it but a little bit. I do, you just need to go through some more shit. <laughs> Pretty much. Yep, that really, honestly. You need yep. chapter 20, you know, like you're not there yet. You've got all of the others are good to go, but you need something else to happen. <laughs> and, well, and I think that too, like that really put me in a place where I was really doing a deep dive on my family dynamic. Yeah. And, and that was a whole lot. Uh, yeah, probably just need some time to heal or process or whatever to get through all yeah. of that and then be able to reflect and write better and yeah. more clear or something honestly I figure someone else is gonna I'm, I'm gonna eventually go hey can I pay you to write this for me because I my 
I think that my autism makes it harder for me to write out the emotions because I don't process them quite the same way. You know, things that I think are funny are so like inappropriately not okay. I really, okay, again, not making light of it, but I need to get tested. I've been talking, I was talking to someone, I'm like, I might be on the spectrum. I might be on the spectrum. I might be with you. There are far more people that are like our, my generation wasn't because you were either in an institutional and that was autism or you weren't. And it was, oh, you're just misbehaving. So I I think that was the biggest thing for me is that I wasn't, I, I just, I, I wasn't, I spoke, I wasn't nonverbal. I was able to, I mean, I don't know that I was redirectable, but I mean, I mean, it was cool. Like I, I love, there are parts of my, my childhood that are so magical that were my world that I created in my head. Um, uh-huh. Music was huge for me. And, and uh-huh. now I, that's where Zumbini comes from. Zumbini is music and movement. Um, but I love it because it, it gave me, it gave me peace. So in the middle of the night, I pretended I was, you know, one of the, li- the little sister of the Jacksons. I, <laughs> I used to pretend I was a solid gold dancer. Okay. See, okay. I thought I was the only person that did this. So, and then, and then my, I told my dad, I, was like, dad, I can't I'm believe like, I pulled that out of the back of my brain. I can't believe I just remembered that. But, but like, isn't it cool <laughs> that I, 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 I I remember telling my dad, I was like, dad, I'm Michael Jackson's little sister. And he's like, Stacy, you are so not Michael Jackson's little sister. And I was like, I am. And and Ann and I are 14 days, 15 days apart. So it could have happened. I could have been. Interesting. (laughs) Anyway, but like music really, it really was that, that place was happy for me and books were as well. Like I, I, you know, I, I wasn't allowed in my bedroom at night because of my mom's OCDs or during the day. So, um, it sounds so crazy when I say it now, but I, I, she gave me a closet under the stairs, like Harry Potter, like legit Harry Potter. Right. Right. And I was allowed to put my stuff there. And I had all of these books that I cataloged and I made, you know, index, you know, the, the, the old library cards for the the Dewey oh Decimal God. System. It's called the Dewey I did. Decimal System. <laughs> and, and I totally Deweyed it and had library cards so that my friends, which I didn't have any friends, could come and check things out. And I would just sit and, and read these stories. And and my, my whole thing was so vibrant of my imaginary world that I, I, I think that's pretty much what enabled me to like survive. I was going to say it got you through. It saved you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So music cool. was this music is the same with me too. I'm, I mean, you, you can't see, but there's like, oh, it's over there, but tons of music stuff. It's just, it's where I, I escape to. I escape to me to music, put on those headphones and just listen. Yep. And, and I know when I'm not feeling okay, cause all of a sudden I'll go, Oh, I need to go put on some music and just chill out and enjoy it. And my husband will walk in. Thank God my husband, I found my husband after the accident. Um, I actually was learning how to walk again after the accident and, um, cause you know, how many people get hit by a truck riding their bicycle? I got hit by a car riding my bicycle. They hit I mean, the back, they hit the back. We, it was an older gentleman and I was crossing like a parking lot entrance. I was probably 14. I was young and, um, I was riding my bike and they hit the back wheel and it just like my, I went fell over the wheel was dented and yeah and, um I I like stumbled home they were like are you okay let me drive you I'm like nope <laughs> I'm just gonna walk thank you very much I'll walk it off <laughs> I remember that that was a, that was traumatic um but it wasn't a truck it was just someone pulling into a parking lot it wasn't fast it was it was startling and traumatic but it wasn't awful I could walk home but it still has to, I, I I would think that that still has long-lasting like you know do I get on the bike do I not get on the bike ever again like <laughs> for yeah, me you know it was my only way around at the time so it was either my feet or the bike I couldn't ride the bike anymore it was ruined oh well <laughs> I think that was one of the funniest parts of the accident so I like the accident the truck it was an, actually an intersection 
in front of a hospital. So it was an actual that's convenient uh, industrial truck, not a, not a semi, but an actual truck truck leaving. And they ran the red light and I went underneath the truck. And so I went to, I, I literally had the handlebars embedded in between the truck and my spine. And I pulled them out and pulled myself out from underneath the truck. And there was a do, uh, doctor, a police officer that had, was, was, coming through the intersection he saw the whole thing happen and so he stopped traffic got out I mean traffic was literally behind my head like it was zooming and he he stopped everybody oh my god and then grabbed me and because the truck pulled me into traffic and um and he's like do not move because you hear about her superhuman power and adrenaline and adrenaline yeah I don't know how I did it and I was covered everywhere in blood and then the EMT showed up and the guys were like ma'am your bicycle is like a several thousand dollar bicycle and I said yeah I, I do you want us to save it and I went <laughs> you think I'm ever getting back on a bicycle <laughs> oh that's funny they're <laughs> working on me and then they're like well, we'll take it back to the station. You maybe, and I'm like, there's going to be no fixing it. But the, the fact that it was a several thousand dollar bicycle is what actually saved my life. Oh, thank goodness. It didn't crumple the way it should have. It didn't, you know, it was titanium. It was meant to take, I guess it's meant to take a licking. I don't know. It saved my life. It is The cage is actually what saved my life. It That's good. Worse. So, and then I met Mike online when I was learning to, when I was doing rehab and learning how to, you know, adjust to this new life. Um, gymnastics, they said, is what saved my life was that and the bicycle was because my core was so strong and I still had been teaching gymnastics and I was still af- um, active as a gymnast. Uh-huh. And I was still doing gymnastics in class. So they said that the core muscles and my, my feeling of falling is what saved me. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then oh, that's met, so interesting. Yeah. I met Mike online on a chat online. And the next thing I knew we were getting married. It was crazy. Wow. <laughs> All of he, those things led you to Mike. He, he knows, he knew nothing about autism and, um, he knew nothing about like this crazy thing. I kept saying to him, dude, you're not gonna want to be in this this is a mess like please he's like just give me a list of the people I know are not allowed to be around you and we'll go from oh, there I love that That's he a really keeper. did he yeah he really did ask me for a list of people that were not allowed that, that I didn't feel safe around and I thought how and he stands on his phone so I think it's kind of cool that 10 years later like he is still that guy that um I don't I mean I shortly after this my my heart failure because I had heart failure from my original cancer treatments uh-huh. and my heart failure really went into full heart failure after the accident my heart my heart did not handle the accident well uh-huh. and I went it went to the point where 10 percent of my heart was operational and they said well she's probably gonna die if we don't get her a transplant so um and Mike and I were just dating and I'm like, man, I don't think I'm going to make it. So like, I really need you to, to be realistic about this. And he said, Uh I'm going to take care of you. And on Valentine's day, 2012, they put in a defibrillator and they told him she probably is not going to survive more than a couple more weeks. We, We will not be able to get our heart before she gives out. And so he proposed right after they put it in and we got married two weeks later on February 29th, 2012. So on leap year, about every four years, no (laughs) no anniversary. And, and I'm still here. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I, I did do something pretty cool, which, um, one of the, the medical students at the point said, Hey, we have a stem cell program here, um, at the university. And would you be interested? And I'm like, I don't have cancer. I have heart failure. Like there's nothing that, you know, stem cells are going to do. He said, we actually have a cardiac program for stem cells. And I said, well, sure. Let me meet with the doctor. And I met with the head of the Institute and 
at that point in 2012, they did not have parameters for a woman to be in the program. And I was the first woman. First one. Yeah. That's amazing. So what did that do? How did so, that help you? So um, they actually implanted my own stem cells. They took them out of my body and grew them and regrew them in, in a, a laboratory and then put them in, in 2014. Um, and now my heart functions at 45%. So um, the one thing that was kind of cool was, I'm not cool. I mean, I don't know. My life is really kind of chaotic, but while they were implanting the, the stem cells, so they actually have to go into your heart like they do with a cardiac cath and they put them into your heart, they inject them. But while they were in there, they found a 90% blockage to my heart that was caused by radiation. And so I ended up having to have, I would have dropped dead. Like I was doing, I would have dropped dead, would have dropped dead. So you're on your like fifth life now. So you better watch out. Uh, yeah, Be careful. I'm somewhere, yeah, I'm like, I'm somewhere around six, probably. I think so. I mean, I think so, seriously. So just stay in the house. <laughs> Pandemic, been home a lot. Uh, just sitting here hanging out oh, with people. I, I would also suggest bubble wrapping the walls. Um, sharp <laughs> corners at the, at the beginning of the pandemic so it is march of 2020 um I, my heart has been totally stable well i shouldn't say that <laughs> well wait a minute wait a minute that makes what? me think you probably can't be around people because you're probably in the you know, i have been no? home for 18 months i know i know i know but <laughs> you probably should be super careful right like yes. is that a doctor's I, order I like am, you can't go anywhere I not go anywhere Oh, crap. Oh. This is my social interaction. Oh, so nice to see you here. <laughs> it must be so, you must love Zoom. <laughs> oh, I love Zoom. I do. I stream yard. I, I love Facebook live. Like I, I live vicariously through other people because I mean, honestly, I probably was one of the few, few people that was so ready for the pandemic because I was already doing interviews and doing lives and I was really used to it. Um, but it has been how I, I sit for the gymnastics studio. I, we have a zoom that we do for the parents so that parents are not in the facility. So I sit on zoom and coach from zoom. That's hilarious. Yeah. Kind of like I, teaching kindergarten from Zoom. From, from Zoom, but maybe my, my 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 kids will be like, "Hey, Miss Stacy," and then there will be kids who go, "What's a Miss Stacy?" And they're like, "She's up there <laughs> on the computer. You see her." So that's so great. Yeah, yeah but that's so great. It, it really was so great to talk to you. You know, I think um, there's. I feel like there's so much more we can talk about, but I'm going to gently wrap it there, but I do have three questions for you that we ask all of our guests before they go. Okay. Um, so you ready for them? Sure. No preparation. Okay. Um, when you're at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing? Listening to music uh, yeah. or, playing, or playing video games. It's one of the two. Oh, cool. That's cool. Video, video games help reset my, my little autism stuff. So if I'm having a really bad day and I need to relax, I do really repetitive games. So Tetris, Tetris is my jam. Candy Crush is my jam. You know what I do? I watch the British Baking Show um, ah, over and over and over and over again. I'm on season eight again. It might be my fourth time. Okay. okay Ready cool. for the next question? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you, can you recommend, or do you have a book that you would recommend highly for anybody for any reason? So for an example, I love the four agreements. If I were to recommend one book, I mean, there's a few others, but I love that book. It's this big, tiny, and it's just kind of can change your whole perspective on your, in life. And it's, it can change your life. Do you have any books like that? And if not, that's okay. I, I'm not, I don't read any other kinds of books other than those kinds. I don't read fiction anymore. Um, I, I know you love books, so you I must have books, a few. But like I, so like for- Even this, if it's a great story, like I'm okay with that. It doesn't have to be self-help. So if I do, if I do self-help, I, I go to the 30-minute manager because from a business standpoint, the 30-minute manager really enabled me to- take those ideas of making quick implementation changes and we use it in gymnastics now too. So okay. 
theories are still the same that I would use for employees, but I use them for our students and how to integrate better behavior. So, okay. and, and it is really all about behavior mods. So that's, that is what I relate to. And then my all-time favorite is Alice in Wonderland. Through the, the, so like if, if I wanted to just, you know, read something that makes me happy, it's, it's Alice in Wonderland. So that's so cool. No one's ever said that. All right. Last question. All right. If money is not an object or was not an object, what would you be doing um, with your life? Exactly what I'm doing right now. Yeah. I kind of take that one out, but it's kind of intriguing that almost every okay. single person says that. Well, well, let me clarify that. So that we put a clarifier in. So okay. with the accident, there was a lawsuit and after this di diagnosis where the doctors really said she's not going to survive, start to make plans, I made a bucket list. And I said, if I had no, no limits to how much money I had, what would I do? And what, and I asked my husband, what would he like to do? So the very first thing on that list was to be on Ellen. I wanted to share my story to everybody in the world so they could be inspired. Oh, she happens to be one of my listeners. <laughs> No, I would love that. That would be fantastic. It's never, it's not going to happen. I, I think that it is, I'm on to Kelly Clarkson now, but. <laughs> oh, okay. So I could probably get her. <laughs> you know, but you Anyone know, out there, if you know, Kelly Clarkson, um, can you please send them this podcast? Fantastic. We, we would love this. I would have to be on it with you just because. Uh, Absolutely. You know. I think it would be cool. So Kelly Clarkson was, or, or, or Ellen was number one. Number two was to go to club 33 which is this very secret space at disney world disneyland oh you you can only be invited it was started by walt himself it is a very special club originally at disneyland but now i i am privy to the fact that there is one in every single disney park okay to join, you have to have an invitation and it's $33,000 to join and then $15,000 a year. So I am. So that you would do that. Okay. In a minute in a heartbeat. That's hilarious. Um, I love it. Go on. And then, and then everything else has been crazy stuff that has actually happened. So third on my list was to be at Miss USA, just to be in the audience at Miss USA in Las Vegas. And the first time I was in Vegas, I was at Miss Universe on the red carpet and they gave me my own seats for free. Oh, I shouldn't say that, but I, I was actually at Miss Universe in the audience. That is so, so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And everything else has been crazy, magical stuff like this whole world that has an opened for me. And I say often, dream it. It will become reality. Absolutely. And yep. the more that I put things out in the universe, the more it comes back. Yep. Um, and the money thing just happens the way it's supposed to happen. That's all about the energy, energy and energy, energy. That's the E in my heel. <laughs> yeah. And it is. That's our energy. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the positivity of the universe, if you put it out there, if you are a positive soul, it comes back to you. And I am grateful for what the universe has opened up for me. And absolutely. So, so thankful. Every day is a blessing. So, well, I'm so thankful that I was able to sit with you tonight. I had such a great time. It was so nice to get to know you. I'm wishing you the very best with your treatment. Um, and when you write that book, let me know. Um, I would love to promote it Thank here you. on the podcast with my 30 uh, loyal <laughs> listeners. I love you listeners. <laughs> we are so appreciative of all of you. Share I, this with your friends. I love it. Share, yes, my listeners. Share with everyone you know. <laughs> God knows they'd love to hear my voice on their way to work. All right, friends. <laughs> I know my friends listen like to all the podcasts that I'm on. So you will get at least 10, Yay, more, 10 more friends. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. It has been such a pleasure. Truly. Um, I do wish you the very best and everyone I will be right back. 
And here I am. I am back. Just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.